You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Each week, we cover pressing topics that matter to you and your business. I'm Ariana Gonzalez from Chug Attorneys and CPAs, tuning in from our San Diego, California office. And joining me today is Navdeep Meember from our Santa Clara office. Hi there, Navdeep, and welcome. Thank you, Ariana. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. For today's topic, we're going to be talking about Mastering Form I-9, Navigating Compliance and the Latest Updates. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started, this conversation is for informational purposes only. It does not create an attorney-client relationship, so please email us your questions at info at chook.com so we can help you out. Now let's get right into it, Navdeep. Can you tell us about the Form I-9 and when do employers need to complete this Form I-9? So um, the federal law requires that every employer in the U.S. Uh, verify their employee's uh, identity and employment authorization by completing Form I-9. So this has to be completed for the employees which were hired after November 6, 1986. And uh, individuals uh, who can work legally are divided into four categories for which this form has to be completed. Uh, first is U.S. citizens. This could be the born U.S. citizens who are born in the U.S., or they could be naturalized U.S. citizens, or they could be derived U.S. citizens. Uh, second would be permanent residents uh, who are lawful uh, green card holders. Uh, then another category is uh, the non-citizen nationals of the U.S. Uh, this is a, a niche category which has uh, uh, nationals who are born in Samoa or Swain Islands. And the last one are the non-citizens who are authorized to work at a certain date. Uh, this would be normally asylees, parolees, or H-1B, L-1, or non-immigrant workers. So whoever has authorization to work have an EAD. So this would be covered under this category. The I-9 has to be completed for all these four categories. Great to know. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Can you discuss what version of the Form I-9 should be currently used by employers? So currently, it's very important to note that the August 1st, 2023 version, which has to be used, uh, this was from November 1st. It had to be uh, mandatory that it has to be used from that date. This is also a Spanish version of this form, but only Puerto Rico. Uh, it's uh, only used in that and not over other areas. If uh, you have employees who do not uh, know English and are more versed in Spanish, they can use this as uh, an aid to um, understand the requirements, but they still need to complete the English version, but make sure that completing the August 1st, 2023 version, that is the current version, because there's very important changes in this. So very important, they use this one. That's really important to know. So the August 2023 version is the most current one that, that is recommended. Can you share with us who completes section one of the form I-9? So section one has to be completed by the employee. Um, on or before the first day of work. So when we say first day of work, means first day of work for pay. 
Um, sometimes employees just come for a meeting or training, but they still don't uh, start work. That would not count as their first day of work for pay. So when they clock in and they're getting paid for, that would be their first day of work for pay. So it has to be completed by that day, end of the work. But they could do it before, if after the offer is completed. So any window between the offer uh, is accepted and the uh, first day of work for pay, they could complete the first part for section five. Got it. So as long as it's before they've started their, their first payday, then, then it's valid. So can you discuss the difference in the latest version in section one and, and how that differs? So section one is basically, uh, it asks all the employees details, the names and the address, social security number, their email, their phone number. And then they have to also check that which category they qualify, the one which I mentioned earlier, that they are US citizens or they are green card holders, or they are a non-citizen national or a non-citizen authorized to work. So they will choose all the, one of those categories from that in section one. And the difference, which uh, major difference, which is in the, this August 2023 version, is that uh, if you leave any of the section, any of that uh, information blank, like if you don't have a middle name, or you don't have any other name, which asks in the section one, you could leave it blank. But as in the previous version, uh, you had to put uh, NA non-applicable. You could not leave any of the section blank. Uh, but now it's okay if you don't have any information. Um, so like you should, uh, social security, employee, anything, if you don't want to provide, you can just leave it uh, blank. You don't have to write anything. Wow. Okay. That's really good to know. So do all employees need to provide their social security number in section one, or is that not a requirement? It is not a requirement unless the employer is E-Verify employer. If the employer is uh, signed up for E-Verify, then the employees have to give the social security number because that's a requirement. But if not, then it's up to the employee. Um, it's voluntary if they want to give the social security number uh, or if they want to give their phone number or even if they want to give their email. So it's all voluntary uh, if there's no um, E-Verified employer. Uh, it's up to the employee. And just to add that the section one will be completed only once they sign and date that. So if this is not signed or dated, it's not considered completed on that first day of work for pay. Wow, that's all really important information. Thank you for sharing that all of, all of that with us. And if you guys do have further questions about this, do reach out to us and we're happy to provide clarity where needed. Can you touch on who completes supplement A of form I-9? So now this uh, new uh, current version has a change from the previous version is that now it has a supplement A, which is for the preparer or the translator of the section one. So if the employee cannot read or understand or does cannot complete it himself or herself, then they can use uh, someone to help them to translate or prepare it or complete it for them. Then that person, whoever helps the employee, will need to complete the supplement A. Um, it asks for their name, it asks for their address. So very important that they have to put their uh, home address in that section. They cannot put the business address. Even if, let's see, um, if the employee uses one of the colleague uh, to complete the section one, but uh, the um, colleague should be putting their home address, not their uh, business address. And if there's really no preparer or translator used by the employee for section one, then they don't really need to keep a copy of uh, uh, supplementing. 
Wow, that's all really great information. So let's get into section two. Who completes section two? Can you share that with us? So section two is completed by the employer or authorized representative. Uh, this must be completed by no later than three business days after the employee begins work for pay. So if the employee uh, begins work on Monday, then by Thursday is the latest it has to be completed, section two by the employer. Um, and the employee must examine the original documents and the documents must be unexpired and also must examine either in the presence of the employee or using the alternative procedure, which we will talk further. Great. You mentioned a couple of documents that the employee needs to provide. Can you touch on which documents the employee needs to provide for Section 2 of the I-9? So um, when you look at the instructions of Form I-9, it has a list of documents which the employer has to provide to the employee before um, they can uh, sit together and go over the documents. Um, so after the employee completes section one, the employee should provide those list of documents. There's a list A documents that establish both identity and employment authorization, or, or they can use list B and list C documents. So you can provide, employee can provide either list A because it has both the identity and employment authorization. Most of the common document is a US passport that's commonly used or a green card. Um, then if they don't want to provide list A, they have the option to provide list B, one document from list B and one document from list C. So both have to be given, but any document, uh, most of the common use list B document uh, like would be driver license. So list B is all the documents which prove your identity ID. Um, list C would be basically which shows your work authorization. So those have to be provided together but they could provide either. And more, the most important takeaway would be that the employee cannot ask the employee to provide specific document. So let's see in section one, if the employee filled social security number or something else, um, um, passport I-94. So something like that, the employee cannot uh, tell the employee that, oh, please bring your um, social security card or bring your passport. So it's entirely up to the employee which document they want to provide. Uh, you, the employee should just give them the list, uh, which is in the instructions, and they can choose which document they want to provide. That's really great for the employees to know this information. So how how and can can these um, employees determine that these documents are genuine? If they can, how do they do this? Is there a way to verify this? So government does not expect the employers to be experts. Uh, you know, there are very good counterfeits outside there. The only thing they are asking is that the employer uh, just make sure that the documents appear to be reasonably genuine, okay? So when the employee presents the documents, the employer must accept a document if it reasonably appears to be genuine and it relates to the individual presenting it. So as long as these conditions match, uh, the employer cannot uh, reject those documents and don't expect to be a, you know, an expert in document review. Great to know. So you mentioned employers not being able to request specific information. So can an employer um, specify which documents an employee will present from the list A, B, or C? Is that allowed? No. So I just wanted to mention again, it's not allowed. Make sure that uh, you give the option to your employee 
to present any. So let's say sometimes uh, they are doing a renewal uh, and they presented, let's say, EAD card uh, initially. And now they want to do um, something is expiring maybe, but they can present any other document. It does not have to be the same document they presented first time. Um, so they can always change the document when anything is up for extension or renewal or something was expiring and they have to re-verify. So any document can be presented by the employee, but it should be left up to the employee. Wonderful. Great to know. And is it allowed to present photocopies of the documents? Can employees use a photocopy if they don't have the original document? No. The documents from this list must be original. There's only one exception. That if it's a certified copy of a birth certificate issued by any county or state of the U.S., uh, that is only allowed, certified copy, as long as it is. But all other documents have to be original. Um, you cannot accept photocopies. That's great information. Thank you for sharing that with us. And another question uh, on this similar topic. So the form mentions authorized representative. What does that mean? Can you share with us some information about who the authorized representative is? So the employer may contract, designate, or hire any person um, to complete or update or make any edits to section two, which is supposed to be completed by the employer. So he, this person will be basically completing that section two on behalf of the employer. So it's called an authorized representative. Um, some It could be anyone. Um, it could be a supervisor. I know a lot of my clients uh, go use notary public. Um, it could be even an employee A, employee B, you know, they could do for each other. Um, as but the only person who cannot do is uh, the employee himself or herself. So there are because this documents verification has to be done. So the employee cannot do, um, but anyone else can be used. It even could be any family member, anyone from the office. Understood. So oftentimes they can hire somebody or, or get somebody else to do it. So is the is the employer liable for any violations if they used an authorized representative? What does that look like? Um. Yes, they are. So because this person will be just authorized to complete the section two on behalf of the employer, um, they should know what they are doing. So the employer should not just tell anyone to do who does not understand how I-9 form works or how to even complete a section two. Um, so the, um, the best way to do this is that uh, when, if you authorize someone to do it on your behalf, uh, it's good to do a video interaction like a Zoom call or something. And then you, the employer is present when the other person authorized representative is doing it. Um, so, you know, because if there's any errors uh, later, which come to the notice, it's the employer, which is liable, not the authorized representative. So it's very important that uh, whoever is authorized to do complete section uh, two or even supplement B, uh, it's uh, done by someone who knows what they're doing and the employer know, gives someone responsible this work to do. That's really important information. So who can act as an authorized representative? Just anybody? Yeah, as long as it's not the employee. Um, it could be basically the employer can give the HR team or um, they can go to a notary public or their attorney or anyone. It could be anyone. Just the employee cannot do it. Wonderful. And who is, what is the alternate procedure for the Form I-9? 
So this is something new for this version of farm uh, because of the COVID, you know, a lot of uh, work was being done remotely and people were, employees were unable to verify documents. So uh, we will talk about that separately. So this is a new, uh, when that, uh, an option for the employers to remotely examine the form I-9 documents. So it's called uh, alternate procedure. Um, so this is an alternative to physical document inspection, right? Normally when you're doing I-9 form, the employer has to sit with the employee and look at the documents physically together. But uh, with the remote, if the employee is remote, uh, it could be done remotely. But very important thing is that the alternate procedure is only available to employers who are E-Verify employers. So if they are not E-Verify employers, they cannot use the alternative procedure for remotely examining documents. Um, the other thing important to keep in mind is that the alternative procedure must be offered consistently to all employees. So it's either all employees or nothing. Um, I know sometimes we have hybrid method because of the current scenario. There are some employees who are working remotely and some employees who are working on site. So if in that situation, the employer can offer the alternative procedure to all remote employees who are not uh, uh, coming to the office. Um, and the ones who come to the office, they can do in uh, physical ex examination for them. So that is okay. So they can do the alternative procedure for the remote employees, all remote employees. It has then it has to be done for all remote employees. And they can do in-person physical examination of documents for the on-site employees. Or they can just do for all employees, alternative procedure. But very critical that they have to be verified employers. Oh, wow, that's wonderful to know about this alternate procedure. So how exactly does it work? Can you give us a little bit more information about that? So this alternative procedure, basically the employer gives the instructions to the employee document list ABC and let them choose which they want to provide. Then the employee transmits these documents to the employer. So when we say transmits, means they do electronic transfer. They could do email. Um, that would be one method to do it. And then after that, uh, the employer conducts a live uh, video interaction with the employee. Could be Zoom, could be Skype, you know, any of the methods they use or Teams. And then the employee must show the same documents they transmitted. So if they transmitted a U.S. passport, uh, they have to show the same on the live video interaction. They cannot use uh, or uh, show any different documents then. And then once the employer examines the documents which they are presented during the interaction, they just need to make sure those appear to be genuine and they relate to the employee. And then once uh, that examination is done, then the employer just retains those documents copies with the form I-9 and then also check the form I-9 has a box in section two. Uh, basically, uh, it says that check here if uh, an alternative procedure was used, then they can check that box. Um, so yeah, it's very simple actually. It's made life very easy. Wow, that's a very interesting alternative that, that we have available to us now. So for this form, who completes Supplement B? Can you touch on that for us? So Supplement B is basically, earlier uh, it used to be in the new version, it has become a Supplement B, earlier it used to be Section 3 formally. Um, so that's one bigger change in this version. Uh, this addresses the re-verification and rehires. Supplement B is completed by the employer or if they're using an authorized, uh, then they will be completing this. 
basically just re-verify what employee documents list A or C. Um, and then employees, if hired within the three years of hire date, they could uh, complete this uh, supplement B. But one important thing that uh, if you do a rehire, just uh, don't go ahead and do another e-verified case. Oh. Okay, wow, that's good to know. So which documents should not be re-verified? Can you share that with us? Um, so US passport or mm. passport card, it cannot be re-verified. They should never be re-verified. Um, unexpired uh, permanent resident card, green card should never be re-verified. Uh, list B documents should never be re-verified. Uh, these are basically, you know, identity documents which show your ID. So they should not be re-verified. Mm. Wow, that's really good to know. Thank you for sharing that with us. So what happens if, if there are errors on the I-9? Let's say, for example, the employer notices some errors on the I-9 form. What are they supposed to do? So very important one thing, the employers should conduct periodic audits, you know, internal audits, you can hire, uh, I know we do a lot of audits, so make sure that you are either hiring someone outside to do that or do it yourself, but uh, do conduct periodic audits to ensure there are, you know, errors, you are in compliance, right? Um, because anyone who does the form, uh, especially this person is not fully trained and they can do errors. Um, employees must ensure that all parts of the form I-9 are properly completed and, you know, and if they may be subject to penalties if the form is not completed properly uh, or correctly. Um, then they should, uh, if they notice any errors, uh, they should uh, attach a written uh, explanation with I-9, whatever the error was, if any information was missing. Uh, let's see, uh, for example, when the employee completed section one, they didn't put their name properly. Uh, they missed the date of birth, um, any of those which is a required field uh, address. Um, so, and if you notice lately, then uh, they are, it should be corrected. Um, and it, uh, explanation should be attached to the Form I-9. Wonderful, that's really good to know. So how should the employers store the I-9 form? Is there a proper way to do this? So first of all, the form I-9 should be on file for all current employees, okay? Um, store form a nine could be stored in different ways. It could be stored physically in your uh, business premises. You know, it can be on-site. It could be off-site. Uh, it could be in a storage facility or it could be electronically. These days, everyone is going electronic, so we could very much save it electronically. But just make sure that it is available. If there's an audit, uh, you are available to provide it immediately. And uh, just make sure that when you're storing Form I-9, all the supporting documents which are pro uh, provided by the employee, all those list A, B, or C documents, uh, they are also uh, put together with the Form I-9. Because uh, if there's an audit, then you need to show all those documents. Wonderful. That's great advice. And how long should employers retain the Form I-9s? When can they get rid of them? When do they no longer have to worry about them? Good question. So if the employee worked for uh, less than two years, then the employer should retain Form I-9 for three years from the hire date. And if the employee worked more than two years, then they should retain the Form I-9 one year from the termination date. So mm -hmm. as you see, the Form I-9 has to be retained for at least three years. So just to uh, repeat again, if the employee worked for less than two years, then they have to uh, retain it for three years. 
And if the employee worked more than two years, then they have to retain for one more year from the date of the termination. Wonderful. Okay, that makes sense. That's that's um, easy enough to follow. So who is not required to complete the form I-9? So who is not required to complete? Yes, um, if a person employees not in the U.S., you know, you don't have to do form I-9 for them. They're not physically working in the U.S. soil, okay? Um, then if uh, they are uh, independent contractors, a lot of employees these days have independent contractors. So you don't have to do for them. Um, talking about contractors, uh, sometimes uh, you have contractors who are working for them and they have further employees, right, who are working on uh, on your side. So you are not uh, responsible to do Form I-9 for the employees of the contractors. Um, it's the contractor's responsibility. They should be doing the Form I-9. Um, similarly, any if you have domestic workers, casual domestic work in a private home, uh, or any regular intermittent basis work uh, does not need a Form I-9. So, and just to repeat again, Form I-9 has to be done for all those four categories, U.S. passport, U.S. citizens, uh, green card holders, uh, non-citizen nationals, and uh, non-citizen work authorization. That's great information. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk to us about the COVID-19 temporary flexibilities for the Form I-9, which have ended, and do the employers now need to take any action since this has ended? So, uh, you know, during COVID, offices were closed. We all were working remotely, so government understood that, and they gave some flexibility on Form I-9. Um, so basically, that uh, temporary flexibility ended on July 31st. 2023. Um, so, but employers who use that flexibility to do remote inspection of the documents, so they were now required last year to do physical examination of those documents um, by August 30th. So government had said that if you did that flexibility during the COVID times um, till July 31st, you did a remote inspection of the documents A, B, or C, and you do not really physically look at those documents in person, then you have to uh, look at those documents in person uh, till that uh, flexibility by August 30th, 2023. And um, employers who were uh, enrolled in E-Verify, who did that remote inspection that time, they could very much do through um, same remote inspection. That was fine. Uh, they could do it through video interaction. They didn't have to do it physically. But it is very critical because if you did not, if you're one of those employers who would remotely check the documents during COVID and did not do a physical inspection, and because you're not E-verified, right? Um, then you have to complete this uh, second examination by August 30th, 2023, last year. And if you did not do it, you should still do it ASAP, you know? Uh, because if tomorrow there's an audit and they notice that uh, this inspection was not done, after that remote, and you will be uh, liable for fines. Similarly, if you are an e-verified employer, and you could still do it remotely, but make sure that uh, they are done. And then update should be done on the Form I-9. That's how, if an audit takes place, they will know that it was done. There's a notation which should be made in the section two that uh, this was done uh, either physically or remotely, and update was done.
Wonderful. Do you have any um, last words of advice for anyone who is going through the I-9 form, form I-9 process? Any any words of wisdom, anything we, we should really keep in mind when, when filing this process, whether you're an employer or an employee? So the most important thing is that first you should be very uh, careful who's doing the form I-9, um, especially on the employer's behalf. Um, because any errors, any mistake can cost you penalties. Uh, when they do an audit, they're going to look at the review the form I-9 in depth. Even if a section is left blank, which was not supposed to be left blank, it's a required section. And if you left blank, if the name is not done correctly, there's any typos in the dates or information, you the employer may be liable for fines. And um, so it's very simple. If you do an audit now, uh, you just uh, catch that error and you can rectify it. Uh, that would be okay. So please uh, do internal audits. If you need us, we do it. Uh, our team, we have specialized team who does audits. So we are happy to do it for you. But uh, you don't want to be, uh, because each error on each form is going to cost you per error. So the fines could be range anyone from 300 to 500 per error. And if they notice that some employer um, has a, um, Employed um, knowingly unauthorized employees, uh, then uh, they could be, uh, and there is um, repetitive violations, they could be criminal liabilities as well. So you don't want to avoid all those. Please be very careful with Form I-9. These are very important and critical information has to be done correctly. And if you don't know, you know, feel free to contact us. We are happy to assist you. Absolutely wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Navdeep, for taking the time. That is all we have time for today. So this does bring us to the end of our conversation. Do let us know if you'd like to see a part two on the Form I-9 topic. We'd love to dive deeper into this for you and answer your pressing questions. Thank you so much for joining us today. And subscribe and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube to stay up to date. Make sure you turn on our notification bell so you can be notified of our next upload. And please reach out to us if you want to let us know what topic you want to see on here next. We're always available for you at info at chook.com. Do reach out to us if you have any questions and make sure to join us back here next week for more pressing topics that truly matter to you and your business. Until next time, stay safe and take care. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chook LLP team.